the Koi Gig part on Off The Ball. I don't like it. I want to be up there in Group A. I don't care who we get. We should be up there competed against them. But, you know, as you said, we're going to win that group and then get promoted, hopefully. Subscribe to the feed in the OTB Sports app now. Monday Night Rugby on Off The Ball. With Vodafone, main sponsor of the Irish rugby team. We all belong to the team of us. Yeah, you're welcome along. Great to have you with us. So Irish domination is the theme in the URC. We have three teams in the semi-final and it's a quick turnaround as well. So Leinster Munster at the Aviva Stadium on Saturday, half past five. Tickets go on sale tomorrow. And then Connacht find themselves in a semi-final. They're in Cape Town against the Stormers. That is also Saturday. That is a three o'clock kickoff. So you can clear your Saturday afternoon if you're so inclined. All as a consequence of Ulster 10, Connacht 15, in Belfast, that was Friday night, and then uh, Scotston, Glasgow 5, Munster 14. Big result from Munster, and Leinster do what they do. Uh, 35 points to 5 against the Sharks, five changes made. The usual story from a Leinster point of view. Jerry Thornley of the Irish Times here in the studio, you're very welcome. Thank you very much, Joe, always a pleasure. And we have Grand Slam winner Fiona Hayes with us, hello. Hey, Joe, how are you? Very well. So let's start um, Belfast, if we can. We'll go chronologically, why not? So mm-hmm. Ulster, uh, Connacht. This was all set up for Ulster yeah, for so many reasons. They finished five places and 18 points above Connacht in the table. They had home advantage. They had beaten them twice this season. And if they were to win against Connacht, they would have a home. Connacht, of course, in Cape Town, but they would have a home semi-final against the Stormers. And then ambush, capitulation, uh, dejection, very much the order of the day. I saw Alan O'Connor, the captain, say our whole season was for this game. Mm. So that is disastrous, really, from their point of view. Yeah, and particularly when you lose to Connacht, it's a little bit like an international team losing to Italy. Everybody loves Connacht so much and likes to see Connacht win, so long as it's not against them. Um, they're just a different stigma to losing to Connacht, which is probably unfair, but I think it actually affected your, the way you've just built it up there. I think it even affected the atmosphere. I was there on Friday night. I thought the Ulster players gave a very distracted performance. John Cooney, Stuart McCluskey both being spoken to by Andrew Brace. The crowd spent most of the evening baying at the referee as he penalised Ulster 18 times, which was, I'd say, has never happened to Ulster in the Kingspan Stadium before. And uh, I, they only got going really kind of around the hour mark when you finally saw James Hume dance a bit and you finally saw them get into the corner and getting their mall going. The one um, shining exception being Robert Balakoon every time he got the ball. The problem being that they didn't bring him into the game nearly enough. I remember one strike move right to left where Billy Burns had him on his shoulder and didn't give him the ball, went into contact himself. I'm not blaming this all on Billy Burns and it's, it's easing the cheap seats, but I just thought it was a distracted performance. Lacked urgency, lacked intensity. I asked Dan McFarlane afterwards, might there have been a lack of fear? Would might have been a little bit more element of fear against different opposition? I was think, particularly thinking of two teams, one in red and one in blue. And it's hard not to think that maybe Ulster wouldn't have brought more intensity. I was at the quarterfinal last year when they absolutely filleted Munster. They were outstanding in the quarterfinal. And it's hard to believe that that was the same team a year on. Um, the, the truth be told, as Connacht started to build up momentum in the first half, there was this constant strains of chance of Connacht coming from around the ground. Maybe it's because of where the press box is situated, but there was quite a contingent of Connacht supporters there. And of course, Connacht, had, as we've discussed in this show, had become a very good team this season, particularly in the latter stages. I think that's now six wins out of seven, the only defeat a narrow one away to Glasgow. Um, so that's really good form. And they're, they've got a low injury profile. They've an outstanding scrum, an outstanding line-out, both attack and defence, when Niall Murray's there. And a lot of players like Finney Beanham just playing outstanding rugby. Seamus Hurley-Langton producing his best performance since he arrived in Connacht. Keen Prendergast working his way into that World Cup squad by showing his versatility that he can play across the back row and the second row. And very good as well. Um, Connor Oliver, just so many good performances and so much more ambition about their play. They were more fearless, the way they offloaded the ball. The the truth be told, they just should have won by an awful lot more. If like Tom Farrell was a constant threat all night long, but if he gives that pass inside to Caelan Blade for the run-in under the posts, or if mm. the, think of a few other chances, like Caelan Blade nearly got Prendergast over on the blind side, McCluskey just got his arm in to dislodge the ball. Bundiaki with a pass out the back, not, said he went flat, the ball went to ground. Jack Cardi with his no-look strike play to John Porsche when it didn't go to hand. Like They could easily have been 19-3 up um, going into the last quarter, and it wouldn't have remotely flown 
splattered them. And then it looked like Ulster might steal it. And fair play to Kieran Marmion. He comes on. I know people are giving out about his box kicking, but two of the three were reclaimed. But that break from his own half, at the time of the match, entering the last 10 minutes, when all the momentum and the noise levels and everything were behind Ulster to dummy, fend, step, beat players, and ultimately set up that winning penalty for Jack for Jack Carty landing five out of five enjoying not kicking next to the Atlantic Ocean I think it's fair to say <laughs> um, they were utterly deserving winners and good luck to them and even Fiona Dan McFarland echoed Jerry's uh, view of the game he said it would have been robbery if we would have, if we had uh, stolen that game towards the end the breakdown another area where mm. Connacht were totally on top they had ten turnovers and it wasn't just one Tyg Byrne-esque mm. performer there's so many of them across the yeah. board yeah so that is um you know, a, a, a rarity, I would think, for Connacht in Belfast in such a high stakes game in that they had the luxury of being very wasteful and still winning. Yeah, and look, I think that's where they won. It was at that breakdown. Whether, you know, Ulster might argue or the fans might argue at times, but their Ulster's inability to read the referee and what he was allowing them do or what he wanted, they just couldn't seem to get on the right side of Andy Brace. Um, from the get-go, Connacht's game plan, obviously, was to absolutely go after that Ulster breakdown, and they done it throughout the game. I thought the pack were absolutely outstanding. Obviously, in attack, they, the set-piece was brilliant, but I thought defensively the pack in particular in the inner channels because we know Ulster at times like to do one-off runners, big carries and Connacht just absolutely nailed them every single time and instead of fanning out really got yards going after that breakdown and it seemed to work with Brace and it was such a spirited performance but Connacht they were just brilliant to watch. As Jerry said there were wasteful moments in attack but to, to watch their game plan and how they absolutely rattled Ulster at home. Ulster at times didn't know what to do. As as Jerry said, they were arguing with the referee, looking for different things, but it was Connacht had a, had a brilliant game plan going into it and I think it absolutely worked for them. To pause on Con- or Ulster rather for a moment, Jerry, because this is almost our season wrap on Ulster. Yeah. So, trying to get a handle on this year is tricky. Mm-hmm. They scored more points in the league this season than last season. Mm-hmm. So, on the, you know, Dan McFarland did say, well, that is improvement. This isn't a backward step. We've grown as a team. We had 12, 13 more points in the league than we did last year. Obviously, we didn't do as well in Europe. They started brilliantly, it felt like, particularly in the league. And then after that Leinster defeat at the RDS where they capitulated in the second half, there was that shocking dip, which uh, took them a long time to rest. And then what jumped out to me more than anything reading the pieces over the weekend about the game and about Ulster uh, you know halfway down a piece Peter O'Reilly had in the Sunday Times he said in Ulster there is talk of a split camp of players turning down contract offers because they find the working environment an unhappy one and there are 10 players leaving Ulster uh, this summer Dwayne Vermeulen included not that I know that his reason has anything to do with an unhappy <coughs> working environment but um it's hard to put meat in the bones unless you've got the inside line and what's going on there. But uh, in Ulster, there is talk of a split in the camp of players turning down contract offers because they find the working environment an unhappy one. I'm sure Peter did not commit that to the Sunday Times unless he had uh, good cause. So something just off this year. Yep, big time. To deal with that one, the, the ramifications of the Leinster defeat that was after Keane Healy's first half red card and they were out of sight at half time. And this is a recurring pattern with Ulster, going back to even pre-Dan McFarland days, where they suffer a, a major jolt to the season and it seems to take them games to recover. They don't have, don't seem to have that bounce-back ability that others have. Um, there is obviously disquiet in the camp and I thought the performance looked like um, a frustrated, not terribly happy um, camp as yeah. well. The other thing I, that struck me about the performance last Friday was I could hardly remember them any time being called into a huddle and just kind of trying to right the wrongs of the performance. There seemed like an almost a lack of personality or leadership in the performance as well. I think also they've really missed Jared Payne since he left in the last two seasons. A few Ulster players I've spoken to said he's the best coach they've ever worked with. That as soon as he retired, he drew a demarcation line between being one of them and no longer being one of them and demanded very high standards on the pitch, which you wouldn't necessarily think from his personality whenever you interview him. So I think there's a few factors at work there, and um, there's no doubt the attack is not firing as well towards the end of the season, even when they were getting over the line in games against Edinburgh and the Dragons at home to seal their top two place. They weren't outstanding. And so 
I think Stephen Ferris, you know, saw this coming, you know, that this defeat was was, was on the cards the way they'd been playing of late and uh, so it came to pass. So it's going to be a difficult summer for them. It's going to be an uncomfortable review of that game mm. that, as, as Alan O'Connor said, that their season hinged on to perform so poorly. And it's a long uh, summer as well, four yes. months on yes. account of the World Cup, Fiona. So plenty of time for everybody to stew. As I said, 10 players are leaving Ulster this summer. I don't know if that clear out will mend the issues with team spirit or whatever's going on behind the scenes mm. there. Yeah, and look, as as you just on that point as well with the, the tries, you know, they have scored more tries, but how many of them, Jerry, might know this are like off the back of a mall, which we know has been excellent throughout the season, but their general play outside of that or that short ball game, I haven't seen a lot of that in attack. And yeah, there's a, a mass exodus of players that could actually reinvent this team. There could You don't know what the dynamic on that team was with players, certain players in there or guys knowing they're already going to leave. So you would hope that they will obviously look and try and rebuild the summer. But they certainly, the last couple of seasons, the tail end of the season, it just hasn't been great. And they've, they've started so well, you know, especially in the URC this year, they started well. They were a nice team to watch. And Balakoon was, was brilliant at the weekend. But other than that, in the back line, it didn't see much in attack didn't see a lot out of Billy Burns. He had improved in the previous games, but again, and you, you you can't blame one player, but it's there's something not right in there and something isn't ticking, especially in that back line with the talent that they have. Yeah, it is tricky. And then on, on the other hand, okay, this disappointing loss, notwithstanding, you lose to Leinster in Europe, you know, that's mm-hmm. the natural order of these things. Mm-hmm. So maybe we're expecting too much of them. I, they, I weren't, they were a little unlucky in Europe to have that game yeah. moved from the La Rochelle game moved, but they were stuffed by sail sharks away. True. And that wasn't a good look. I know they had their travel difficulties going over there. And I don't, Dan McFarlane was quite critical of the players after that Lavershell first half performance. Yes, their mentality. Yeah. That, and he, if they, I was a player and I'm sitting in a, a changing room and my head coach says that about us. Unless we don't know the full picture. Yeah. unless Because I, I saw that and I thought, well, that is unusual. This is McFarland breaking glass in case of emergency. Mm. You know, it's mm. rare a coach goes that heavily on his players. It's been quite a roller coaster because then they came back yeah. and beat Sale at home and, and put up that magnificent performance away to La Rochelle where there was nearly a draw until the last play of the game. And then they did pick up their form and, they, you know, they, they gave Leinster a good match in the last 16. Better match than Leicester Tigers gave them or the Sharks gave them last weekend or yeah. whatever. But um, then it comes to knock that match. Like when you think back a year ago, Fiona, they actually were outstanding against Munster mm. in that quarterfinal. Oh, and, brilliant. And in the semi-final away to the Stormers, not 85th minute they've got a home final and what it's not against Leinster yeah I remember Darren Cave saying on TV that he was in the same hotel in Cape Town as the Ulster players and as Leinster were getting beaten um, by the Bulls there were cheers from the Ulster room because suddenly they could see a home final against somebody other than their blue nemesis yes and maybe there's still a like for an organisation that we go on about Munster's trophy drought since 2011 but Ulster's is five years longer now and so I think that that becomes an accumulative factor as well and mm-hmm. both on the pitch and often and you re- could really feel it on Friday night there Meanwhile Fiona Andy Friend his Indian summer continues so uh, so much to like about that performance do you see, see on Twitter Matt Hansen's the gash yeah. in his head oh my god <laughs> it was I crazy his, I feel like I saw his brain yeah yeah, it was. Uh, I think someone uh, put it in a, a group WhatsApp without a pre-warning, and everyone was going mad because the picture just appeared. Um, yeah, look, it was. It wasn't a nice picture, but it just shows what that kind of team done up in Ulster. They were throwing their bodies left, right, and centre. There was lads, Kate Blade, going into every breakdown. There was guys sticking their head in everywhere. And look, as I said. Um, you know, probably would have liked to seen a bit more attack in rugby for them, but it, it, they came out on top, and you couldn't come away from that game doubting their, um, I suppose, their ability to put to put pressure on that breakdown. And I hadn't seen it as much as I've seen it in this game. And I suppose the good thing for them as well is that it, it's come out that all players, uh, the twenty three, are now available to 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 go to over to the Stormers, so they haven't had any huge injuries from that game also. And it was massive physical game, so that's great for them. Yeah, and they've had to na- navigate an interesting season as well. There's the Bundyaki situation repaired, which is great. And then you have a departing coach. Is he lame duck or will actually, you know, with the, the five years of having a good relationship almost 
have a last dance quality and it seems to be the latter and John Dobson of the Stormers summed it up when he said of Connacht and the game on Saturday in Cape Town they've got dog in them Mm -hmm. Uh, they've won seven in a row there's something there that's worrying the way they fight their attack shape's really good Connacht have a great story from a windy greyhound track in the far west (laughs) with the smallest budget in Ireland they don't go away they'll be tougher than we think. Mm. The smallest budget, they're on a, their budget is reckoned to be around about the five million mark, which will be down with the Dragons and Zebra until, this se- until next season when the Welsh come down to that level as well due to the salary cuts over there. But like that will be half Ulster or Munster, I'd say, and less than half of Leinster's. And here they are in the top seven. And of course, by Leinster beating the Sharks, it completed a good weekend for Connacht because it means they've qualified automatically for next season's Champions Cup, which they deserve. Yeah. Um, and in Andy Friend's five seasons, which, by the way, is two seasons longer than he stayed anywhere else, which just shows you kind of buy in, you get out west. Like Finley Beelham's married an Irish girl, Nia Di Loken's married an Irish girl. They're all going <laughs> to yeah. stay there for the rest of their days. They get into you deep, don't <laughs> yeah, they? they do. Yeah. And I can, I can understand why you might want to live in Galway in the west of Ireland. You know, it's just a great city, <laughs> great town. Um, and Friend is, the other thing about Friend in his five years, he's never had a losing record. He's always broke 50 50 or had a winning record. And, you know, you think back to the Pat Lamb four years and it was a very bad first year and a very anticlimactic last year. There was that great peak. Yeah. But Connacht are now performing consistently point, over yeah. five, five seasons under Friend. The, you, you look at Mac Hansen, right? And perfectly not look at it as far as online because that was <laughs> gruesome. And he comes on after missing, I think he was off the pitch for the last 13 minutes of the first half and then obviously the 15 minutes of the interval being, God knows how many stitches he got. And he comes out and Robert Balakoon makes one of his breaks and he makes a great try saving tackle, most likely given Balakoon's pace. Mm. And by the way, you'd hope Balakoon in that form is an Ulster player who makes the World Cup squad because there is no other player quite like Robert Balakoon in Irish rugby. And then he works around the corner, Hansen after making the tackle, and gets in over the ball and just will not be moved. He's like an open side flanker and wins a vital turnover. Now, I can't imagine Mac Hansen was doing that in his Brumbies days on those lovely dry tracks no. <laughs> in Canberra. <laughs> no. And this is another example of how the Irish system, be it Connacht, Lens or whatever the province, and the Irish system improves players. You see it with Gibson Park, you see it with James Lowe, you see it now with Mac Hansen. They become just much better players. That There's no doubt that Mac Hansen's time in the Irish and Connacht setup has made him into a much more complete winner. And the same way Gibson Park is a more complete scrum half. And so when we have these overseas players playing for Ireland, and of course Mac Hansen's got an Irish mum, they are a product of Irish rugby in many ways, even if they spent their formative years in the Southern Hemisphere. I mean, it was a, quite a telling moment about Kansas. There's no way he was doing that with the with the Brumbies or whatever sides, club sides he was playing for when it was all like top of the ground tracks and so forth. I know Canberra gets a bit wet, but mm-hmm. yeah, it's been... It, the one caveat, I suppose, is that friends moving on Dewald Senegal is an unsung hero in that coaching team. Mm. He's the one that's presiding over the best scrum and line out nearly in the competition. And friend name re- referenced him for identifying the breakdown, particularly out wide as an area they could go after um, Ulster. And he's moving to Oyanax for some reason in Prodido, which I can't get my head around. Um, so that's their, their couple of losses. You know, it'll be interesting how they react to that. But they've got something going forward there. They're just a very good team at the moment. And... I don't see them getting blitzed. I'm not saying they're going to win against the Stormers down in Cape Town, but Dobson's right to be concerned. <laughs> they'll give them, they'll rattle their cage. Yeah, what chance do you give Connacht, Fiona? It's a tall order. Yeah, it's 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 very hard after that game they've had at the weekend as well up in Ulster. You know, as I said, it was a huge physical battle at the breakdown and... I suppose the only the only thing coming from that game is they'll be disappointed with their skill set and attack at times. They had a, a couple of silly turnovers and we know what their strike plays and the ability they can do off their line out and scrum. Their set piece has been superb all season, but we didn't see, I suppose, in the Ulster game, a lot of those strike plays that we've seen from them. So they'll be going at that. They've nothing to lose going over. I just felt, I watched the Stormers game at the weekend and I had actually thought that there could have been a possibility of maybe three away wins um, only two but it, it was that game I was kind of looking at as well but the Stormers were absolutely kin- clinical and so physical so um, Connacht will definitely be in for a huge battle I'm not sure if they can get the win but they're going over and they'll enjoy the rugby and I think we'll see a really good performance out of them The other thing as well Fiona is that as well as a clean bill of health for all 23 players in stark contrast to Munster as we'll come on to mm. um, it, they had an 8 day turnaround between games they fly to Cape Town directly on Tuesday night, land Wednesday morning, spend a day recovering, then train Thursday, have a captain runs Friday. It's at sea level. There's a certain flow to their week. It doesn't look the most disruptive. I felt so sorry for the Sharks, given they, I think that was their seventh trip to the Northern Hemisphere this season for nine different matches. Five and eight. <laughs> Some, yeah. Ludicrous. Yeah. yeah. So, so I, I, 
I think there's reasons for believing there that Connacht will be. The other main reason being they're not going to if they get if they create the same number of try scoring chances. There's no I can't remember the last time Connacht went without a try. I mean, there's just no way they're going to butcher that amount of chances again. You wouldn't have thought. Well, Saturday, three o'clock, we're going to take a very short break. Jerry and Fiona are staying with us. Rugby on Off the Ball is with thanks to Vodafone, main sponsor of the Irish rugby team. We all belong to the team of us. Back in one sec. Monday Night Rugby on Off the Ball with Vodafone, main sponsor of the Irish rugby team. We all belong to the team of us. Monday Night Rugby on Off the Ball with Vodafone, main sponsor of the Irish rugby team. We all belong to the team of us. Now you're welcome back. We have Jerry Thornley of the Irish Times here in studio. Fiona Hayes is with us as well, Grand Slam winner. Glasgow 5, Munster 14. Fiona chomping at the bit <laughs> for the last 20 minutes to get into this. Uh, in fairness, talk about the rejuvenation continuing as we've all um, commented upon over the last number of weeks since that Sharks defeat in Europe. So there is uh, an extra sheen uh, by the week to their season, the inverse of Ulster almost. This was uh, such an interesting, intriguing game, Fiona. The first 20 minutes, it was all Glasgow, mm. no score. I did find myself thinking, well, this is a matter of when and not if. And mm. then Munster score their opening try on 23 minutes. And, and by the way, that try, you can talk to us about it, just shows the development in Munster. This wasn't pick and go, pick and go, pick and go. The Fekatoa try, extra wrinkle in the 22. And then Tom Jordan makes just a dumb tackle a really yeah. dumb tackle and a dangerous run on Conor Murray on 26 minutes 6-2 split in the bench as well hurts Glasgow even further and by half time it's 14-0 Munster against 14 men Glasgow and you kind of think well they'll see this out and they did admittedly at a cost <laughs> uh, Peter Amani Murray Snyman Fekatawa Dermot Barron and others I'm probably forgetting Calvin Cole, Nash Calvin Nash. Nash yeah big trouble so um Amazing game in its own curious way. And, and that 20 minutes uh, towards the end of the first half decided it. Yeah, look, I suppose it's one of those games where Munster will probably look back and and think, you know, how how did we not have the 46 possession? How did we not have more possession? But I absolutely loved watching the game from start to finish. It was a defensive set. I think if any Limerick person sees Leamy, they'll be buying him a point over the next few days because it was absolutely brilliant to watch. It was the monster of old. It was character. They almost gave Glasgow the ball for the whole second half of times and said, come at us, come at us. And they were throwing their bodies in the line. But yes, definitely times I thought the attack looks much better. I suppose the thing, and I know it's it's been said, but it's so a shame we're really seeing that Fekitawa and Frisch partnership it started to gel they're playing off each other perfectly and Crowley I thought was another guy who had a great game as well he controlled things when Munster had the ball you know I thought he he carried it to the gain line he'd done a couple of when they were blitzing the fence but I suppose the big thing for me was to see Munster, to look how they changed that defence. They blitzed up at the outside. The decision-making around those defences, Fekitao at times, um, Ty Byrne getting in the 80 minutes, making those decisions um, and being able to, to come up and absolutely stop Glasgow dead. Glasgow just kicked the ball back to Munster a lot of it of the time as well. They couldn't break that gain line. And, you know, they've, they've a lot of sore bodies because of that. And there was a lot of, I suppose there was a lot of head co- collisions which isn't great to see, but this is kind of almost a start. They've been on a roll since South Africa and to get this win, I mean, Glasgow, it's not easy to beat Glasgow at home and we talked about, you know, how long it's been last week since Glasgow has be, have been beaten at home. So yeah, there was a red card, but I don't feel that had a, a huge emphasis on the game for Glasgow. They will argue otherwise, but I just thought Munster's defence and Leamy, they were set up perfectly and they read the game and absolutely went after the breakdown at times as well. And on Leamy, Fiona, and what he's done with the defence, because I don't think Leinster were thrilled that, you know, he came up. Mm. He watched what's going on up here in Dublin and then he brought it all back down to uh, Munster in his back pocket. What's he done with the defence? I did notice Eddie O'Sullivan on the halftime analysis was, he uh, used the phrase, I think, that the Munster defence had spooked Glasgow. It was up and in. And yeah. uh, So is that a Leamy thing or are, are Munster employing that type of defence generally or was it just for this particular game? 
Well, I hadn't seen. I think it was this game. They they obviously had done their homework on that. Um, I think it was interesting. Round three, I uh, spoke as well. He said the lads are obsessed with Leamy. That if 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 Leamy told to walk off a cliff, they'd all follow him out after it. You know what I mean? So they bought into his system, and he kind of, I suppose, he showed innovativeness to to look at Glasgow. They would have reviewed that game in 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 Thoman Park, and it was so disappointing for them and for the fans that were there. And they saw how Glasgow attacked. And they went after that. And I suppose with that blitz, that up and in defence, it's putting a lot of kind of, um, it's in the player's hands. You know what I mean? It's the decision making on when to come up and go after that ball and, and to get up in their face. And I think it worked perfectly for Munster. So Leamy, he's, he's obviously installed the confidence in the players because they had the ability and their decision making around that defensive system, especially on the outside challenge. Nash was superb again defensively. Um, Haley has the ability to chop low. You know, he stops those runners coming through. He makes these decisions. He stays upright and then gets in nice and low. So I think they've all bought into his system, um, Joe. But I, I hadn't seen that absolute blitz until this Glasgow game. It had come in in, in, in little bits and I'd seen it at times. But I thought they, they, they'd done it for the whole game and it really did spook Glasgow. 17 months. Yeah, yeah. I think they're only defeated home this season by La Rochelle. 17 months unbeaten in the URC. It's a hell of a tough place to go and win. Um, and you've got to give credit to Munster given where they were coming from as Fiona highlighted there after the Sharks game. Leaking all those tries and points back to back against Glasgow and the Sharks. It just looked it looked like their season had come, come aground. Yeah. And they headed down to South Africa basically in need of what they got to even make Champions Cup next season never mind the playoffs. And they've done both in fairness to them and, and produced a string of really good away results your boy Conor Murray keeps getting the nod ever since yeah yeah he's good isn't he he's just play, it's great to see how well he's playing you know and it's, it, I just don't think it's acknowledged enough it's great to see Ireland's greatest ever mm. scrum half adjusting to life as the second best Irish scrum half and at 33 years of age coming back and playing so well for his province and his country it's a great boost for both his province and his country in a World Cup year and um, the pity is he's going to miss next week's game mm. now because well, he's become can, so influential You can bring us up to speed on that so Murray the head injury 26 mm-hmm. minutes Omani the it looked like biceps elbow Yeah they're saying arm and the tree arm Yeah Snyman failed HIA uh, Fekitawa with that head HIA. as well. So Calvin Nash HIA. So who's who's out out and who's probably Conor out? Murray out. Okay. Calvin Nash out. R.G. Snyman out. Mm. Malachi Fekitoa out. Uh, Peter Amani going for a scan today to be assessed as the week goes on which never sounds good. No, especially when they clearly took a risk on him and it backfired yeah, at the weekend. Yeah, He'd be yeah. loathe to do it again. Yeah. And he's so influential. He's just so important. He's he's still their talismanic figure up front. You know, they need these experienced leaders like... But that is, that is such a pity for yeah, Saturday's game. Like, it really is. Like, I think... Snyman, World Cup winner, Peter Armani, sometime Irish captain, long-time mm. Munster captain, Conor Murray, briefly Alliance captain. Like These are real leadership figures. To lose one or two, but to lose all three. Um, and they then they do, don't have the depth. Well, that. they don't really have that kind of depth. Although I do think we should give credit to players like Fineen Witchley, who's been yeah. almost forgotten about Fineen Witchley, to be honest. And his performances off the bench in both games mm. in South Africa and again last Saturday morning. Oh yeah, he's a talented, he's a really yeah. talented rugby player and a very good line-out operator. Very athletic, he's a good player. And of course, he'll be hungry and fresh and wanting mm. to prove a point. And in the same way, John Hotland was very unlucky to be left on the bench. He's been one of Munster's players of the season. And again, his chop tackling that you were talking about earlier, his his execution of chop tackling has been... Mm. He won the top tackler in the, in the whole URC this He's, season, regular season. So they do have a little bit more strength and depth than they're perhaps given credit for. But they've it's these are still hammer blows, you would have thought, against particularly against Leinster and yeah. particularly in the Aviva, where I think I'm right in saying since the ground was read about and since that was the first match with a big crowd there the first proper professional game there back in whenever it was 2011 um, I think they've been there 13 times against Leinster and lost 12 plus mm. they've lost against Saracens in a European Champions Cup semi-final plus they've lost against Scarlets in a Pro 12 final it's a bit of a graveyard for them You'd to be lose the penalty shootout last yes, year yes to lose in a penalty shootout as well so do would Munster or Fiona maybe view the Aviva as a, a bogey a bogey <laughs> ground almost 
Yeah, well, I absolutely hate going up there. Um, it has. <laughs> I haven't had. To, I haven't had the best of times. I go up with all hope. You know. You know. I love to to back the old monster, but it hasn't been great. And I suppose the the worst one was that Toulouse game, and and the when it went to kicks, it was absolutely <laughs> terrible day. So yeah, I think it's almost gone to a mentality thing now. Um, I was I was at the game to beat Leinster that one game, but other than that, um, no. It, look, I, I I feel like it is a, a slight mentality when it comes to the Aviva and it's such a huge stadium you know Munster love playing in, in Musgrave Park and Toman Park where where you know it's kind of the, the fans are close to the pitch you can hear the roar um, I think they're going I think it's going to be about 29,000 that'll be in there it might be um, you might get 15,000 or 14,000 Munster fans they, they'll travel up the road alright but it's just not the, the same atmosphere um, those bigger pitches don't seem to suit Munster and you're talking about Murray as well I, I think it's huge that you know Paddy Patterson, who's who's kind of played a lot of rugby this season as well, he's injured. So you're looking at maybe Casey starting, and it, and it's Cronin who hasn't played a lot with Munster kind of as backup. So there's there's just even the injuries from from previous kind of when you look at that uh, scrum half. Um, I suppose if something happens to Casey early on in the game, you're kind of you're down a good few scrum halves into in in choices of where they'd go with Munster. So there's a lot going against him, but. I suppose the, all you can look at, um, and we made the mis- our monster made the mistake of looking at that. Well, the fans did when when you were thinking, oh, it's a second string Leinster team because it's obviously the Champions Cup the the following week. But it, it, it look monster have have built that defense system. They've built that character, and and these guys are, have a chance. The guys that are coming in to go out and do it. So it's it, it's probably Leinster have been outstanding. The Sharks game, I'm sure we'll move on to that as well. They were just they were I wouldn't say outstanding. The Sharks probably didn't show up. At times but they just have the ability to win and Munster when it gets to those crunch games in, in, a, in a lot of years they haven't had that ability but they'll be trying to change that and Just a final one on Munster Jerry. so realistically they are up against it on Saturday uh, the three of us were on the Monday after Munster lost to the Sharks and we were very critical of uh, Munster and their front row recruitment in particular was just not up to scratch and there were you know various issues which were resulting in Munster hitting this ceiling uh, far too often are we now upgrading the optimism around Munster Jerry or, or do those criticisms very much still stand do you know what I liked about them the last few weeks they rediscovered a little bit of the old Munster grit it mm. wasn't so much about their attacking game it was some partly to do with that but they just roll their sleeves up and do what Munster traditionally have always done. You think of that Glasgow performance last Friday night and it brought to mind the old saying, nobody beats Munster twice. Remember that old saying? And they they mm-hmm. they, they were they learned so much from that first game. I was interviewing um, Ian Keithley last week. He's head coach now of UL Bowes and they mm-hmm. won their promotion relegation playoff to stay in 1B. They beat Dungannon at home on Saturday. And he was making the point to me that that, that Glasgow game, so many of this Munster team are actually so young that they'd forgotten about the bitter enmity between Munster and Glasgow. And Glasgow brought that kind of Interpro-like intensity over to Thoman Park that Munster went, oh, they just almost weren't expecting it. Mm. And they learned from it. And it is a serious feud nearly. It was a savagely brutal game. Yeah. Like, (laughs) it was just so bruising and so physical. Like, you can see they just don't like each other. And in many ways, that's that's a good thing that we have a kind of a cross-border rivalry that's got an edge to it in this competition. There aren't many of them that mm. fall into that category, but like it was disquieting to see four players go off with HIAs. Oh, it's and not, stuff. Good. It's mm. not it's good. It's not good. It's no. not a good look for the game at all. But um, yeah, I think I think now to reach the Champions Cup and to have got to a semi-final, they won't like me for saying it. They won't see it this way, but they almost are a bit like Connacht now, almost in bonus territory. Okay. Fiona, are you upgrading your mood on Munster since uh, the Sharks' defeat then? Yeah, look, I thought um, Lockman and, and Archer in particular over in South Africa against the big South African props. I thought they, yeah, a couple of times when they were tired and they got caught out, but I thought they've really improved that unit of Baron Lockman. Archer, it seems to be, we spoke about John Ryan going to the Chiefs. Oh no, but I thought Archer has come in. He, he's put in, I think he played 180 minutes over mm-hmm. as well and he's got himself around the pitch. Salanoa, he's good to come off the bench. Which are lead to be 
be fair to him, I, I've always said he's a little bit smaller and, you know, scrum time against the bigger props. I do worry about him. But I thought he he came onto the pitch and he earned a penalty straight away. Um, He got himself into a really super position. So I think they've worked hard in, the, in those areas. Obviously, against the French teams, we'd see it a little bit more. But in URC terms, I think this the the replacements, I'd be happy. And, and, and let me tell you, Michael Mill didn't have such a great day up in the Viva either. Do you know what I mean? Like, he was another guy... Scrum, scrummaging wise he was brilliant around the pitch but he was a guy that you know the more game time he gets the more and I think Josh Witcherly is going to be sim- similar Munster have to give Salano Witcherly and they'll get found out in games but they'll work on those uh, scrummaging things and the more they're in there the more they'll feel it so I think scrum time they'll definitely be a lot more confident going into this game against Leinster and I, I've definitely seen huge improvements and far more cohesion with the pack Okay Leinster 35 Sharks 5 there were 9 changes from the win over Toulouse. As you said, there were issues at Scrum, but echoes of the week before in that Leinster scored three tries during Sharks' two yellow cards. So the double is still very much on. The team, if you missed it, was Keenan. Uh, Larmer and Dave Kearney on the wings. Frawley and Nagatai in the centre. Harry Byrne, Luke McGrath. Michael Milne, who did have his struggles in the Scrum with Dan Sheehan and Tyg Furlong. Ryan Baird, Jason Jenkins, and then a back row of Max Deegan, Scott Penny, Caelan Doris. I mean, it's not exactly scraping the dregs either, is it, for nine changes? It's ridiculous, really. And the Sharks, in their last eight matches, have had to make five European trips, which um, mm. is just crazy, really. And their coach did quip. They haven't all been business, business class. class either. Uh, Conan came on for Penny on 37 minutes, by the way. He went off with um, HIA as well. So I, I, I don't know. Can you muster up something new to tell me about Leinster's uh, brilliance here? They do suffer on the analysis because they're just... A machine. Yeah, they do. Winning is boring and all that. Um, <laughs> we interviewed Caelan Doris after the game. I did the stats on him today. He's played 20 matches a season. He's won 20 matches. Like so many other Leinster and Irish frontliners. It's, and we almost take it for granted. Like we do three Irish teams making the semi-finals. Mm. These are, as you said, me and we're talking off air, these are golden years. It wasn't always like this. Oh. And we shouldn't take it for granted. When you think of, you know, rugby is very much the number four sport in the country and it has the number one team in the world not according up. to Donald Cusack but that's for another day <laughs> oh, that's another day um, but yeah I thought it was an interesting game I, I, I actually made a conscious decision I'm going to enjoy watching Leinster today because mm. I'm not going to take them for granted and the, all these changes and how other players fit in and the way Grant Williams who's superb oh scrum goodness. half took Fast. that try yeah. Yeah. went whoa yeah. they didn't like they didn't even look like they're going to lay a glove on him um, untouched from 45 metres he's a winger as well he's a winger by nature he's got so a winger's just, pace yeah, if you're shocked by that but pace. I took five minutes out to watch him Joe and even when he's not breaking he's He's yeah, keeping he's defenders honest with the way he steps or the yeah, way he yeah. looks. He's a very smart player, very intelligent player, good, really good skill set and obviously le- lethal quick. And even that break through two players and offload for the try that was overruled at the end. It's amazing to think that's what the Springboks could be if they gave players like that their head, the kind of brand of rugby. The Sharks are they have their moments when they're very good to watch, but... Despite the scrum difficulties, and Ox and Jay gave Tyke Furlong some trouble as well. They mm. were three big, beefy South African front rowers. They, it wasn't just Michael Milne who had difficulties with them. And despite the five scrum penalties going against him, despite Grant Williams sauntering through for a try untouched, you're thinking, oh, this could be trickier now for Leinster than it looks. And then just the way they respond. Mm. Mm. Just, you know, it doesn't matter who plays where. Scott Penny comes in, takes a ball off the top, feeds Dan Sheen in the chair, or Caelan Doris, and Doris ploughs through Mapimpi to score. Then there's a yellow card, and whatever happens when there's a yellow card, well, it's 14 points. In their last, mm-hmm. in their last three games, in, in 38 minutes against 14 men, they scored 49 points to nil. <laughs> They're just ruthless. Yeah. And even when they went down to 14 against Leicester, they won that 7-0 when Doris got his yellow card. And I just watched them really closely and their skill execution, they just look a better coach side, much more detail at all different levels in their nuanced attack, in their defence, in obviously in their line-out so that they could wear the scrum and it didn't bother them and they went on and won comfy. And the other thing that struck me was they have a better skill set from 1 to 15 than the Sharks players. They weren't making the same basic handling errors. They were always exact in their lines of running, the passing, everything else. They're just... Like, even that little moment in the second half, it came to nothing when Jack Conan has a pot out the back to hit and Doris looks like he's a decoy runner running flat to the line. And it's almost a no-look pass. Like, 
everybody in the ground buys it. The, I'd say even the viewers, the cameraman possibly bought it. Certainly the Sharks defence did. Yes. And he just gives this little no-look, little flap pass to Doris and he goes through the gap. And this, it doesn't matter who plays where. They just all seem to understand their roles. I think they're really, really good to watch. This is the hype Leo Cullen is railing against. <laughs> you right there. Um, but Leo, I enjoy watching your team. <laughs> well done, you're a good coach. It's, uh, it's all building to a crescendo now, Fiona. Munster Saturday and then boy from Cork waiting in the long grass over in La Rochelle. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's it. That's it. Look, I, Jerry said it, it all, but I thought Harry Byrne was very good as well. And he's a guy, I suppose, that's still hoping to be on a plane going over to that World Cup. I thought he controlled the game excellently. And the difference, look, I'll be honest, I watched the Sharks all season. I thought they were a shadow of themselves. Yeah, they were physical at scrum time, but there wasn't much else. Physicality, I thought, around the pitch. They, they just looked tired from all their travelling. But Leinster's ability to be so clinical, the detail in which they do everything, and they push each other to such extremes. I remember they were, I I don't know, maybe 20 points ahead. And I think it was Ryan Baird didn't give a pass out to to Dave Kearney. And he's absolutely going nuts. And he's right to do so. It was a 2v1. And they just expect each other to do the right thing all the time. And in general, they tend to do it that way. They obviously train at such high intensity and everything is so precise and the detail around everything and the skill set is brilliant. So I think they when guys come in they just they 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 come in and and it's absolutely you know obviously Doris was outstanding and he she showed exactly why he's a world class number 8 we know he can do a job at 6 but at 8 we just see him on the ball so much more. I think it's their ability to come in and do that and look that's what makes it, it's going to be so difficult. Yeah, Munster are losing a team, but that's losing a lot of players. That's what the difficult thing is. This Leinster team could have probably another nine different changes this week from, mm. uh, from the previous week, and it will still be a really, really tough game because their detail around how they do things, their lines are running, their strike plays, everything is enforced and drilled into them, and they're so technical around that, and you can see it in how they play. And done. Uh Last one on Harry Byrne, who's 24 now. Sam Prendergast practically makes him veteran, which is, you know, and I'm sure Harry's looking over his shoulder a touch. What was always said about him when the hype train was at its uh, most pacey was he has the highest ceiling. He has the highest ceiling of all their pretenders. Are you still seeing that in Harry Byrne? Yeah, it's just, it's it's unfortunate. As you said, he's 24. I feel like he's been around years already. You know, everyone is just um, crying out, who's the heir to, to Johnny's throne? And they're trying to find it immediately. But there's so much rugby to be played by these guys. And I think Prendergast coming in has pushed Harry on again. Um, with Harry Byrne, what I used to love about him and, and watching how he plays is, obviously he's a brilliant kicking game, but he really plays on the gain line. He's not too deep. You know, he can run at you. He's execution, he's decision making is always done in a split second and I think his ability to do that and the more it'll all depend I suppose on the game time and the pecking order as the seasons go on but I definitely think he's up there I I think he's a joy to watch I love watching him and he probably hasn't no 10 at the minute behind Johnny has been given enough time bar Joey um, you know people have their opinions on that but bar Joey Carberry I, I don't think a lot of 10s have been given enough time and, and we'll see it how it unfolds and especially after this World Cup when Johnny is gone I think pecking order will really start to come into play Okay, uh, just to round off the weekend, Terenur 50, Clontarf 24 in the AL final. So defending champions Clontarf uh, beaten. Colm de Butler after the final was interviewed on TG Carr and uh, it was good. This was good fighting talk on behalf of the AIL. So we'll just have a listen mm. to what he had to say. Uh, I might sort of say in English if it's, if it's, if it's, some, if it's possibly heard out there, but um, the, the whole year... There are lads out there going up against academy and pro players, young lads like Craig Adams, like Keelan Dooley, um, like Adam Legrew. And if they haven't been just doing it here tonight, they'll be doing it every single Saturday. So there's so much talent still out there in the AIL. They might not get it when they're in the school systems, but if those talent or provinces aren't looking at them, they might want to start looking because they're going out every single Saturday. And no offence to these academy pro players, but they're smoking them. So some boys deserve a second chance. Love it. It's not just competing with them, just smoking. smoking them. Yeah, brilliant. <laughs> and I'm going to say that in English because I don't know the Irish for smoking them. <laughs> uh, so that was Colm de Butler. I mean, he's not wrong. Like I, I've been to a couple of Clontarf matches. I remember it's funny. I always think um, maybe a year ago, 18 months, Clontarf were playing Cork Con and uh, 
little known youngster called Jack Crowley, mm-hmm. who Ron mm-hmm. Lagara had been mm-hmm. interested in was playing. Mm-hmm. Some nice touches, mm-hmm. but like this wasn't a man against boys. I'm so far above everyone here. Like the standard in the AIL is really good. Tony Smead, the Trinity coach, who's mm. been coaching Trinity for about 23, 24 years now, told me, he said, Jerry, told me last season, this is the best standard in Division 1A I've known. Yeah, the physical, like the, the conditioning is off the charts. And also yeah. there's much, the problems are working better with them and they're releasing more academy players. Like that Clontarf mm. side had four Leinster players brought back in that were in South Africa, brought back into the team. You saw Atzel Kings finish for the Clontarf <coughs> first try. It was sensational. And you're thinking, Clontarf are leading 10-6 and they're probably going to win this game. And then you look at Players like Jordy Coughlin has been a very good, strong player. Harrison Brewer, neither of whom were remotely like 100% fit. Um, Connell Boomer comes off the bench. Boomer, yeah. Hadn't played in 10 weeks. Torres, pectoral muscle. Son, you're not playing in the final. You've no chance of making it back. Makes it back, comes off the bench. Sets up one try for Stephen O'Neill, who was the injured captain last year. Couldn't play in the final. Then scores himself. There's so much talent. And then... Caelan Dooley <laughs> 11 kicks out of 12 for 30 points like it was a masterclass that any international would have been proud of mm. in the Aviva Stadium I see Raj even tweeted about it mm. yeah. there is so much talent in that and there you have to say that Clontarf and Terenure are the two best sides in they the are. competition yeah. mm. over the last two years and it's a great rivalry because Clontarf have made Terenure a better team it's like when you have standard bears and Clontarf have been the standard bears they're a great club they're two great community clubs but Terenure nearly took over the Aviva last season because it was their first final and they brought all this newfound enthusiasm they've been doing a lot of great work over the last 10 years Terenure and become a real hub of the community with better links with the school a lot of great work being done there built a fantastic side um, Sean Skeen has to be mentioned because he's been key mm. getting him as head coach and he's staying despite the fact that he wanted him as a director of rugby he coaches in the school so does three of the team so the links between the school and the team now are they're almost an example in how to do it yeah. frankly they're Interesting. just uh, and I think also that they've been good for Clontarf in that Clontarf but much more vociferous fans and colour to the Aviva like eight yeah. and a half thousand for a club game <laughs> that's nearly as many that was in Crow Park I believe for Wexford Dublin on Saturday and you know it, it just was a great advert lovely sunny day pitch setting occasion tries 50 points 24 just some outstanding performances it was just it was invigorating it was good for the soul it was good for the spirit it was by some distance the best match that I was at this weekend okay. yeah it was cracking it was cracking I thought Benny was very good as well at nine he was class yeah. I thought I thought he was brilliant and just Boomer even watching him coming off the bench just his ability as a number eight you know to slip in there like where Coughlin and Co- Coughlin was playing well all game Boomer comes in and scores a try and an assist for another one day the, the talent there was just it was it was great. I'm, I agree with Jerry. I only watched it back um, this morning and I thought it was probably one of the best games because I've gone to a couple of young Munster AIL games and I was actually at the one where, where they beat Ternior and I just thought Ternior, especially in the second half, they, their ability, the big guys they bought off the, the bench scrum time, it sorted out their scrum. I know Tarf were ahead in the scrum, but it was it was an absolute cracking game. A great Friar Shrubby. I think the conditions maybe suited Ternior. They wanted their, their dry track team. I think yeah. it really is to play a great brand of rugby and the other thing we've got to give a shout out to the clubs is like the schools get so much credit for polishing so many jewels and making them into the rugby players they are particularly St Michael's where um, Sean Skeen's brother does such a wonderful job and is now coming on to the Terry your coaching ticket as well next season so the two brothers are working together Andy himself that you know, I'm told that Terenure would have about 600 kids playing mini rugby on most Sunday mornings and that's not uncommon around all the clubs in Ireland. Like, mini rugby's had a bit of a boon. So mm. when the schools do develop these players, but they're getting them, that they've been learning basic mm. skills for six years. And I don't think the, the clubs get nearly enough credit for the work they, they do. Yeah. No, they and the other yeah. thing as well, the reason why it's so good is because we don't have this infernal B&I, Irish cup, whatever it's called. <laughs> you know, there's no, there's just less of the A fixtures. So they're having to play more for their clubs. Mm. And it's better for the future and the health of Irish rugby that okay. there is, they are playing for their clubs. You look at all those Terenure kids at the game yesterday. They're looking out in the pitch. They're seeing their heroes win of AIL for the first time. The greatest day in the history of Terenure Rugby Club. And that's going to be with them for their lives that they saw that. And it's yet more proof, as is the careers of so many players that Colin Butler was talking about who deserve second chances, like Luke Classy and others who I interviewed yep. last week and Dylan Donnellan for Clontarf, the dry mm. machine, that they now can see that there is more to life than just the four provinces. And, you know, Irish rugby needs that because yes. without the clubs, it's goosed. Yep. Before we go, clock right against us, Fiona, 
Greg mm-hmm. McWilliams. This goes far beyond him. Yeah, I, as I said from day one, I, I think you, you need to give three years, you know, a guy's got to go in and be able to, a girl's got to go in and be able to implement a plan and it, it, like having two years and, and the first year wasn't as bad. I suppose it was just, it was just um, this year wasn't great. So yeah, I, I feel like if that is the case, then it, it certainly is that. I don't know, was there other issues around it? But but from what I'm seeing, I definitely thought he should have had one more year and tried to lift him up because, you know, they do have the ability to, to go up to that tier two if they can do well in this tier three as well and that would give the team an extra push yeah and next year they will have the winnable games at home so you yes. could you could take tier three slingshot into Italy at home Scotland at home Wales at home bang on yeah what calibre of coach now needs to be found like would you like to see I don't know like somebody in the guise of Neve Briggs former player part of that group who's done a go in or would you like to see proper name, statement, appointment, you put a bit of cash into it. Like, What needs to happen here again on the proviso that it's a bigger problem than the head coach either way? I'll go in, Joe. No, I'm going to say that. <laughs> um, messing, um, messing look, but not messing is what you're saying. Um, no, no. To be honest with you, I think um, Briggsy is definitely going to be there in the in the future. It, it's definitely going to happen. I think right now they need to bring in a big name. They need to someone who's coached international level. They need to settle the ship, um, make decisions obviously outside of that wherever they're going to do that. Whether you know we've talked about it before league, whatever way they're going. But I think a, a big coach that has won things and that has um, maybe been coaching at that high level and being able to deal with these athletes and and just bring things together. And and bring a, a really good environment um, to, to start off with. And then I think you, you'll see a lot of players then come in and out of that. A lot of people are causing it, are calling it a kind of poison chalice as well, Joe, at, at the minute, I suppose, because if you're if you're a high-class uh, uh, coach and we saw what happened to Greg, is it is it um, is it something you want to get yourself into? Like I would imagine it, it's a stressful job right now. Um, there doesn't, no one seems to be happy with whatever, unless you're winning. So, and it, it I suppose the talent at the minute isn't at the level of other teams. So the next couple of years is going to be hard for any coach, I think. Yeah. So like when we say a big name, is that, you know, uh, top of my head, but like someone like Eddie O'Sullivan, Andy Friend, someone who's, you know, coached at the top of the men's game, or is that more a Simon Middleton? He's just finished up with the England women and knows the women's game. That's more the direction. What, what do you feel the women's team needs? No, it's not even that because we saw with New Zealand, we saw Graham Smith come in, you know, and it's it's just about the ability, you know, having coached at that high level, having standards, you know, someone that's able to come in and have done it in the past. So it's not even, you know, someone that needs to be involved with the women game. That's just my opinion. Yeah. I think we need a, and, and that's not that Greg hasn't coached. We know he done really well over at USA, but I just saw with New Zealand, they were able to turn around that really quickly. And I know they have obviously high-end athletes, but from six months before the World Cup and he took over, they were a completely different team. Yeah. Yeah, okay. And just his expertise, but they also had, you know, Micron in doing the scrum. So it's about getting a team in to to set the ball rolling. And the likes of Briggs and other coaches that are starting on the journey, they can soak up the, you know, off this and Larissa's up in the RFU. And eventually, I suppose they can step into that throne. But it would be good to go in behind someone and see exactly how they do it. Okay. We are out of time. Thank you both so much. Our rugby coverage on Off the Ball is with thanks to Vodafone, main sponsor of the Irish rugby team. We all belong to the team of us. Fiona Hayes, thank you very much. Thanks, guys. Cheers, Jerry. Jerry Thorny of the Irish Times. Thank you. Cheers. Thank you very much, Joe. Cheers. See you, Fiona. Monday Night Rugby on Off the Ball with Vodafone, main sponsor of the Irish rugby team. We all belong to the team of us.